0: Today, I'm talking with Fatima Khan. In law school, she studied abroad in Milan. Fatima is an expert data protector. At Okta, she serves as counsel and director. So uh, with that, I am happy to welcome Fatima Khan on the podcast. She's the Director and Corporate counsel of Product and Privacy at Okta. And uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Noah. It's great to speak with you.
0: Okay, so we'll start out with um, growing up. So you grew up in in uh, in Houston, and talk a little bit about um, growing up. And uh, you know, is, did you always envision yourself becoming a, uh, a you know the 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 director of, uh, of privacy at Octo?
1: <laughs> well, well, that's a good question. Well, I guess Octa didn't exist back then, so I would say <laughs> no, but uh, when yeah. I was in school, there were really two career paths I was interested in. One was either becoming a regular on SNL, which is a path I didn't pursue, but the one I did was becoming a lawyer and focusing on uh, privacy, technology, and uh, sort of civil liberties, which I don't do now directly, but I get to do a sort of an indirect feature of my role.
0: Interesting. Did you uh, do anything with the, uh, the SNL, um, you know, comedy comedy side of things?
1: Well, I, I didn't go that and apply for SNL or to be a regular there, but I did do theater through college. So I, I did oh. get that, that um, sort of cultural uh, fun experience in as well. In my side Interesting.
0: Yeah, that's great. What about? uh, Do you have any high school jobs?
1: I did in high school. I did two jobs. So I worked as a file clerk in a local orthopedic office uh, nearby, and then a bunch of my friends went to go work at the Gap. So I joined them and worked at the Gap for a little bit too during the summers.
0: Great and interesting. So then, um, then you went on to college at. University of Texas and talk a little bit about that, what you did there, I know you studied Spanish and um, you went you went abroad to Argentina, so talk about that experience.
1: Yeah, college at UT was great, highly recommended. Uh, so I came into college really focused on studying government because I wanted to become an attorney and go to law school, so I thought that was a great route. Uh, I added Spanish as a major, I luckily, AP tested out of much of the major. So I didn't really have that many classes to take except for very intensive writing, reading, presentation classes. So it really helped bump up my level of Spanish. Then I added a third major just because I was taking so many classes relevant to that Focus on Latin American studies and uh, really focused on a uh, core uh, focus there of Latin American literature. So it was a really wonderful opportunity to um, grow my skill set in another language as well as uh, learn more about a culture that's, uh, you know, so wonderful and and uh, diverse in nature.
0: Interesting. And talk a little about uh, your study abroad in Argentina.
1: Yeah, studying abroad in Argentina was great. I took a number of comparative law classes as well, as well as comparative government. So those really helped me learn about different international systems of law, as well as like government and how that's applied. I think it was a great foundation for Uh, what I do now and understanding, you you know, coming from laws from different mindsets. Uh, I also, on top of that, took a bunch of acting classes when I was in Argentina. So it was great to be able to do the two things I really enjoy when I studied abroad there.
0: That's great. And then those are all in Spanish,
1: too. Yes, they were were all in Spanish.
0: Wow. Um, Now, what about did you have any uh, jobs or internships in college?
1: I did. I mostly interned uh, only with the government. So I was an intern for a uh, U.S. House of Representatives member, as well as an intern for a Texas Senate member for uh, quite a bit of time where I helped formulate uh, policy-related positions, such as bridging the digital divide in Texas.
0: Wow. So you're already thinking about tech law generally even uh, before law school
1: yeah for sure i mean the passage of the patriot act and its impact on our civil liberties was what really prompted me to pursue the law Uh, before that i was focused on maybe going the acting career route instead
0: wow uh fascinating so then did you go to law school so uh you you ended up going to law school in california so were you always sort of set on a, a tech law path um, at, at the beginning of law school?
1: Um, so yes and no. I mean, I wanted to really explore the different opportunities available. So my first summer, I summered at a really interesting plaintiffs' law firm so that focuses on, you know, safety and class action um, filing in order to like create a better society. And my second summer, I was at a big defense firm, so I got to experience sort of the opposite side of the coin. And they have a different type of client, which was very interesting as well. Um, That said, when I graduated, it was at the height of the recession. And, you know, Summers didn't get offers during that time because uh, there were no roles to hire them for because there was no work. So what I did was sort of take a step back when I graduated and try to figure out what I wanted to practice and what interested me. And that was really law and the internet. And I started to publish with the American Bar Association as a a new lawyer about uh, FTC enforcement actions and privacy and the practical impact of that for anybody designing products. And that's really how I got into the area and started to build my expertise Uh, It was a very niche-budding area back then, and it's been really fantastic to see it grow.
0: Wow. Now, before we get to that, uh, what was your motivation uh, to to move to California?
1: Yeah, so I got into um, UC Law SF, which was formerly UC Hastings, and it was located in San Francisco, which was really close to where a lot of that action was from a tech standpoint. So I thought it was a very interesting place to be able to go to school and then really be a little bit more enmeshed in that culture, as well as um, the different industries that you find in San Francisco. So it's a very cosmopolitan city with a lot to offer. and, And that's something that really drew me.
0: Fascinating. Now, you did another study abroad in uh, in law school. You went to Milan and uh, talk a little about that.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate enough to do a second study abroad in law school, which I highly recommend if uh, anyone is in school that they study abroad. Uh, I studied abroad in Milan with the University Bocconi, and basically there I was able to take a lot of MBA courses as well. So I took things like uh, MA, I took um, international trade, as well as uh, other legal courses like comparative law and uh, sort of a ton of other legal courses. These were in English, not in Italian. I, I wish I could say my <laughs> Italian was great, but it's very basic at the best. And um, it was a really wonderful time because I got to uh, just really take a lot of classes with a lot of uh both business school students, as well as law school students from the US, from Brazil, from all over Europe, basically all over the world. And just to see those different perspectives all converge and lead to a really lively discussion in all of these different classes was really fantastic. And the MBA classes really lended a hand to learning a little bit more about the business side of the law and understanding really how we fit in um, in the overall picture instead of just the legal part.
0: It's great. Um, now you alluded to this a little earlier that, uh, when you graduated law school, it was, you know, right at the heat of the, uh, the recession. And I guess, just talk about that, how you, you know, how you managed and, um, you know, in, in those times of like difficulty or transition, that maybe are even totally beyond your control, how you, uh, how you still were able to, find your way uh, out of it?
1: Yeah, I I think it's so important that all of us, no matter what stage we are in our career, um, build a really good support system. I'm lucky I had a great support system of parents and friends. Uh, I wasn't the only one that was looking for a job. Like my friends, especially my law school classmates, were very much on my side. And whenever they saw an opportunity, they would share it with me or refer me. So building that professional... Uh, relationship and collegial relationship with your law school colleagues is so important because they're the ones that are going to be on your side and therefore for you because they've had some experience working with you in law school and seeing what you could achieve. So uh, while law school is fun, it's not just a party. So I would say make sure to, to build those relationships in a professional way as well. Um, and on top of that I, I think it's so good to figure out what you're interested in because that interest and passion will really shine through whatever you do if you're if you are not interested in let's say for example insurance law and you're trying to get into insurance law and just doing work it's going to seem super tedious to you so think about like what you'd like to read on your free time that might be a good area of of law for you, especially if it's about tech and privacy. And and so I I think that's also important. And then as an early graduate, you still get, get law school pricing on a lot of things. So you could join the ABA, you could join AJA, you could join all types of organizations that really help build your network and meet people and learn about perspectives of the different types of roles you could have.
0: Yeah, that's all great advice. And uh, getting back to that opportunity that you had writing um, writing for the Bar Association, just talk a little bit about you know what kind of privacy issues you were thinking about back then. Are you still thinking about them now?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, some of the issues are based on core privacy principles, and they still apply to this day. So the FTC right. around that time, they were largely enforcing um, under Section 5 based on it inappropriate notice, inappropriate consent, or um, other types of design-based decisions. And you could very easily take what the FTC has been enforcing on for several years and still apply that. And those principles, they shine through in the GDPR and the CCPA and amendments, as well as all of the global privacy laws. I, I think one great thing about privacy, it's very principles based so you could always go back to that core and, and say hey d- like does this make sense in light of core privacy principles in what i'm doing or not
0: yeah interesting um great advice and then you really were set up well when all of those you know the gdpr and ccpa and all those things came in later
1: yeah, uh, well, I was in ad tech for quite a bit of time where much of the regulatory scrutiny was. So that is something that was really important for that industry. And and that's why when GDPR came around, like ad te- most ad tech uh, legal professionals were familiar with privacy, at least to some extent.
0: Interesting. So let's get to some of those uh ad tech jobs that you had. I think this was like really your first time working in-house, right? And I guess just talk about that and uh, some of those first opportunities you had in ad tech.
1: Yeah. So before I went into ad tech, MarTech at Velti, I was actually in-house with an online dispute resolution startup. So in the legal tech world is really where I started my in-house career. And from there, uh, I went to a big public company called Velti which was the first mobile ad tech success story. Uh, they were public, they had a marketing arm based on SMS as well as the ad exchange. Uh, and they did a ton with data. So it was a really fascinating company to join just because they had a broad global reach very early and their SDK was embedded in every app. So even before, um, I would say the FTC or any government was thinking about that, VT was getting that type of data uh, across the board for, through mobile channels. So it was a really interesting place to work.
0: You yeah, know, fascinating. Wow. Um, and then uh, I guess from there, you went uh, for a little bit to uh, Ticketool. I think I'm uh, saying that right. It's a Dutch uh Dutch company they work in e-commerce so uh talk about that that job
1: Yeah so it was a US Chilean company focused on Dutch auctions so um mm. it was a e-commerce company focused on remnant auctions and then I did a short stint there and then I got recruited back into another ad tech company called Airpush where I had worked with several colleagues that were previously at Velti so having worked with those colleagues in the past and those them going to the new company they're like hey we need a lawyer like you especially focused with expertise on in privacy so i was recruited in there and had the fortune of working with several of my colleagues that i had worked with in the past uh, and then it just comes to say having that network is just so important wherever you go because it was my former colleagues that really vouched for me and brought me into that new role
0: yeah that's great interesting and then w- were you working on generally the same kind of issues that you were uh, working at Velty on
1: uh so yeah some of them i had a broader role at airpush so i was heading legal for them and one big issue for them was on the regulatory side uh they had to really up level their product to meet both platform as well as updated FTC regulatory guidance, so they brought me in for that expertise and to really help shape their product to be able to to launch it, um, you know, globally as well as uh, for the updated rules.
0: Fascinating. Okay, and around that time, I think GDPR came into play. So was that a big uh, you know topic? I'd imagine. Uh. Yeah. So yeah,
1: GDPR. It was. Um, basically passed, but it didn't come into enforcement until I was over at uh, Demandbase. So at Demandbase, also when GDPR, came into play and was passed. And I really landed at Demandbase because they were looking for a chief privacy officer to help them also up-level their products, get ready from a go-to-market perspective to be able to uh, tell their privacy story and um, actually... Uh, walk the walk instead of just talk the talk uh, on from the back end as well. So basically that's what I did while I was at demand base is really helped them both uh, talk the talk as well as walk the walk when it came to privacy.
0: Interesting. Now, were you the their first privacy officer? Yes. Okay. Wow. So talk about that a little bit, as far as being kind of the first one on the ground. I, I think it's still... You know, even still, some companies are just starting to develop their privacy. I mean, most have a, probably a good privacy foundation, but you know, how do you go about um, starting something new?
1: Yeah, I think the first step is learning. So it's so important to learn what's going on at a company whenever you're the first to step in. So I started by really taking a step back and learning about uh, what's happening from a product perspective. What are customers asking? what's happening um, just from uh, internal business perspective as well, and taking all of the pieces and bringing all of those stakeholders together to, to really give their thoughts and then formulating the plan from there. Everybody, I mean, privacy is not like a one person role. Every stakeholder has a role in it and it impacts every single stakeholder across the business differently. So really understanding their needs is top of mind, as well as um, taking the law is is very important, and um, figuring out how to marry those two is is the uh, path forward. And sometimes you have to sort of take a step back and and, and get other opinions to do that, or maybe not. Sometimes but every time you have to take a step back and get that multi-stakeholder opinion to be able to do that
0: and And how do you develop you know those relationships?
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody that works at a company is a person, and it's so important not to forget that, especially in the Zoom era where we're just seeing everyone through a screen. So I would uh, every time somebody is frustrated because they have to do privacy or change a process or something, I think it's always go good to go back to that perspective like you don't know how this change or this law may impact their vertical or their um, goals that they need to achieve at the company and their metrics. So it's always good to take a step back, try to come from a place of empathy and understand why um, they might not be super excited about privacy in the same way that you are and really go from there.
0: Interesting. Now, I think uh, demand base you know, worked a lot in uh, in AI, and I guess talk about that. Were you already thinking about, you know, AI back then? That's obviously a very hot topic now.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, demand-based is... It was AI powered, I guess it still is, even though I'm not there. So uh it was a very interesting topic. And what I was looking at back then was some of the UK ICO guidance that had been released since the uh, EU AI Act was obviously uh, not at the stage of it, uh, that it's at right now. So that was one core area of guidance that we looked at, as well as just other guidance and sort of industry principles that were released I think AI and privacy is a very interesting topic, and it's only going to evolve with the numerous uh, government strategic uh, laws being passed around the globe as well as the industry standards around it. So uh, very exciting time to get into AI if anybody's looking to to jump into privacy and AI
0: interesting. Now, yeah, I've talked a lot a lot about this with other guests on the podcast. Do you think that, that you know the chief privacy officer logically takes on sort of the AI compliance roles also.
1: So it depends on the company, and um, you know I would say privacy professionals are very well set up though to take on that role, just because they have a baseline in ethics, they have a baseline in privacy, which are two key pieces. That said, like, privacy professionals will definitely have to expand the breadth of what they're looking at, to look at safety, to look at accessibility, as well as all types of other things that uh, come into play when it comes to AI.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Um, now, moving to uh, your most recent um, position, you, you moved to OCTA. And uh, I guess just talk a little bit about, um, you know, why you ended up, uh, you know, why you ended up at OCTA and, and what you've been able to do there.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, Okta has been a really interesting journey. So I joined the company um, when it was, I want to say around a thousand people. And now I want to say it's six or seven. I don't know how big it is exactly, but it's grown incredibly since I joined. And it's been a really wonderful thing to be able to come into a company pretty early on and put in place privacy processes that are scalable. And that's something that uh, we've really done at Okta, like uh, all credit is not to me, it's to all of the different stakeholders that really made this possible because they're, they've are they been focused on embedding privacy into their existing processes. Um, my team's really focused on leveraging technology to the best extent possible to be able to have scalable processes that enable us to get through our audits quickly, for example. So um, it's very much a multi-stakeholder and multi-functional um, effort. And it, it's everybody plays a, a really wonderful key role. And I think that when you have that power of good collaboration, you really see it shine through through these scalable, easy processes.
0: Interesting. Now it's a nice transition to uh, your work with uh, the rise of privacy tech and in, the, in their foundation. Talk a little bit about, you know, I guess at at Acta and and before that, you've been thinking about not just privacy law but also you know privacy tech and talk a little bit about um, how the technology side of privacy is you know tied into to your work.
1: Yeah, for sure. As somebody that it really is for implementing privacy by design in every way possible. The rise of privacy tech um, and advising them was an easy yes for me, just because the rise of privacy tech, it's a great initiative and it brings together privacy tech founders, investors, experts, and advocates. And it's led by this incredible woman named Lourdes Terecha. And she is bringing forth this movement to evangelize and fuel privacy innovation. Uh, right now, there's a lot of investment in security tech, and people are realizing the value of that. And privacy tech is, I would say, next because uh, it's just going to be so important as we collect more data, as we move more towards IoT, uh, as we move more towards AI, and all of these different use cases will need privacy tech included in them to be able to do it in a safe and scalable manner. As, as tech advances, so. I'm very much a fan of what the Rise of Privacy Tech community does, uh, the white papers it releases, and um, I think it's only going to grow from here, the privacy tech space.
0: Excellent. Um, You know, and and as a lawyer, sort of how do you, if you're interested in, in privacy by design and privacy tech, how did you get involved in that?
1: Uh, I got involved with the rise of privacy tech because uh, Lourdes reached out to me and was telling me that she's going to launch this initiative. So I thought it was a really fantastic initiative and um, just something I'm I'm very much behind. So that's how I got involved. But I, I, there are so many people that can get involved. Anyone can get involved in the rise of privacy tech. Whether if you're a founder, you're an investor, you're a privacy expert or an advocate, they have different types of memberships that will. Help uh, let you contribute to the community in a way that uh, is best attributed to your expertise.
0: Yeah, that's great. Now, my I, uh, my question is not necessarily the rise of privacy tech, but more so just um, private. You know, like privacy by design, generally in your in the course of your job um, as a lawyer, how do you like reach out to? you know the 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 technology and the you know the the engineers um at uh, wherever you're working to make sure that you're on the same page as them
1: yeah for sure so it's so important to build relationships in a company wherever you are so getting sort of embedded with a product team or uh, building relationships with engineers is, is just very important because once you have that trust relationship that information flow goes naturally. And then the cadence of how often you meet with someone might vary depending on the project, but it's really all comes down to building good relationships at the end of the day with those internal stakeholders, getting to know them as people, getting to be interested in what they're actually working on. And from there, you'll be able to lend your expertise once you learn more about those products and, and um, what what the company wants to do
0: yeah great advice um and looking to uh, the future you know what areas of privacy law are you interested in going forward and um, I guess you know where, where do you uh, see yourself in the years ahead
1: yeah I, I think AI is definitely the most exciting thing we're seeing today it's like privacy several years back. Uh, we are very much at the early side of AI, and it's you're really going to have to implement a lot of these legal frameworks into uh, the products itself as we move forward, because um, the human might be taken out of the equation as as this technology advances, right? If an AI client is speaking directly to another AI client and carrying out a task, then um, you know, it sort of takes out the human. And even though in generative AI and we have a lot of regulatory guidance about having that human, you know, checkpoint in, I think over time that will probably eventually evolve and change as technology itself evolves and get better. So there might be a little bit less of that and it's best to prepare for things like that early on, even if from an operational standpoint that human has to be included now. So I, I think sure. that's really interesting. um in the future where do I see myself uh, you know uh, hopefully uh doing something very interesting i think ai is of course very interesting so we'll see if every company becomes an ai company going forward then uh, i'll definitely be at one of those
0: <laughs> yeah fascinating uh do, do you feel that more in being that uh, you know you're located uh In California, are you really feeling that that buzz around you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm in Los Angeles, which is not the same buzz that uh, many may be feeling in the Bay Area, but it is super exciting. I think what uh, a lot of these uh, companies that have came out with generative AI, um, what they've done is just really fantastic and hopefully as privacy professionals, we could help move that forward in a safe, ethical manner in line with uh, good data hygiene. So I think there's a lot of uh, off, off, uh, amazing, like basically an awesome opportunities for privacy professionals to uh, be at the helm uh, of making sure that all these systems are uh, going the right way.
0: Excellent. Now, my last question for you is, uh, you know, what steps have you taken or um, things that you've done throughout your career that have really propelled you uh, to get to where you are now?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I I think one thing is you have to always be learning. Uh, For me, I feel like I am learning nonstop, (laughs) whether it's about the law, whether it's about new products, whether it's about new technologies. I, I think it's so important to always take that mindset that you have to learn everything. And even though I might feel like I know the law pretty well, I think as a lawyer, it's always good to go back to those core principles you learn in law school, like refresh your recollection of the law, revisit the guidance and so forth, because even though you might have that expertise, you, um, you know, memories are fallible. We don't want to rely on that. And it's just always good to, to further ingrain uh, all of these principles into your mind. So I think uh, learning is very important. And going back to those fundamental law school principles, whether it's Uh, revisiting the law or writing clearly in a very concise and cogent manner. I think that's also very important. So um, law school does prepare you for some aspects of practice, and it doesn't for others. I think the principles that I teach you are are really fantastic, though, and can be applied throughout uh, your career.
0: Excellent advice. And uh, with that, I'll read the the rhyme, and then uh, we'll sign off. So um today I talked with Fatima Khan in law school, she studied abroad in Milan. Fatima is an expert data protector at ocTA, she serves as counsel and director. And uh, with that, Fatima, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Noah.